If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I have such a great episode for you guys today. Today I have Natalie Liu, who was actually introduced to me by you guys. I had put a suggestion box of people that you wanted to hear on the podcast, and I want to thank you so sincerely, whoever suggested Natalie Liu, because... I enjoyed this episode so much. Natalie is a writer, podcaster, and artist. She is an author of many different books, but today we're specifically talking about her book of The Joy of Saying No, and it's talking about people-pleasing. Natalie also has, fun fact, one of like the oldest self-help blogs on the internet. I think she's been doing it now for 18 years, but I think at first, I don't know, glance, you wouldn't necessarily connect people-pleasing and breakups, but the way that she connects people pleasing to so many different aspects and relationship issues that I know me and so many of you have have gone through. We talk about the five different kinds of people pleasing. We talk about how people pleasing and emotional unavailability are so closely intertwined. There were so many times where I, you know, we don't do video, but where I was laughing because she was basically talking about something that I have experienced so many times in my life, but I've never put words to. And it's it was such a such a striking conversation because she just hit on so many things that rang so true to me. So I know there are a lot of people who struggle with people pleasing. And she talks about why breakups can feel so much more traumatic to people who who are people pleasers. So I hope everyone enjoys this conversation as much as I did. Natalie and I were talking afterward and and we really want to, you know, continue our conversation because we had so much fun talking. But I hope everyone goes out and gets her book, go reads her blog. She's a Substack as well. So, I am so excited to introduce you guys to Natalie. Welcome Natalie to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. Such an honor to to have you on the show and get to speak to you today. Well, thanks for having me, Kendra. So, I mean, I'm always very interested with people who are in a like very specific line of work and you cover so much. And I know you have like one of the oldest self-help blogs on the internet, basically. So I know you've, you know, covered so many different things, but today we're talking about people pleasing and I would love to hear 
what made you interested in the topic. And I imagine, I don't know if you're like a recovering people pleaser and, you know, where that stemmed from, but I would love to hear kind of some background on what got you interested in this topic. So I am most definitely a recovering people pleaser. People pleasing was as natural to me as breathing. And it was rife in my life. I could say, okay, particularly with family and romantic relationships, but I think you know, when I started doing this work and 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 writing about relationships, including breakups online, kept seeing this pattern where anybody who was in an unhealthy relationship was in some way, shape or form trying to please the person into becoming the person who they would like them to be or going back to the person who they thought they were or please them into getting the commitment that they feel they'd worked really hard for, that they'd suffered for to get, or please them to stop them from breaking up with them or from doing something bad to them. It's like, if I please you enough, then maybe you won't abuse me. You won't take advantage of me. You'll choose me over this other person. Everything that we were doing in our unhealthy relationships with emotionally unavailable, and yes, sometimes shady people, had its tentacles in people-pleasing. My first book um, is called Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl. I talk about how, and of course, this, you know, I wrote that book. Well, I sort of wrote the first version of that in 2008, I think it was. Yeah, 2008. So it was sort of really kind of speaking to that sort of very typical hetero, what we'd call now a heteronormative relationship. However, I've had everybody read that book and it applies to all types of relationships. And I realized over the years that when I say that people are a fallback girl or a fallback guy, we're the person who typically emotionally unavailable or shady person falls back on defaults to for an ego stroke, a shoulder to lean on, you know, for sex or whatever it is that we're sort of giving away. And that is people pleasing. And over the years, as I as I looked at my own journey and how I've made so many changes in my life and also how I was helping others, I wanted to share all the things I'd learned along the way that were helping me to figure this out, because I'm not going to sit here and say I had the most terrible of upbringings, but it wasn't a great upbringing. And I learned a lot about people pleasing and being involved with people who took advantage of or abused me through what I experienced in childhood. I was carrying a lot of trauma. And there's a lot of us who, whether it's as a result of that or through other painful experiences or just the messages that we internalized about what makes us worthy and purposeful, and needed in life, there's a lot of us who were struggling with the emotional baggage that we accumulated. And so that's really what drove me to explore this work and to write this book, because I want to I want to help people to avoid, you're still going to have to do the work, you're still going to have to go through you know, certain experiences, but why not share what I've learned and help people either get out of a situation or to avoid it altogether? Mm-hmm. I've actually never made the connection until just now about the quest for trying to make an emotionally unavailable person available as people pleasing, Mm -hmm. but it makes so much sense. I've shared a lot about this on the show, but I was definitely that person. I would talk about it with my therapist and she's like, it's like you're on this quest to like prove that you're worthy or something like, you know, not proudly would like, I was the person that thought it was like an ego stroke to get someone who was maybe in a relationship to be interested. You know, it's like I went through so much Mm -hmm. of this stuff and I never connected it to people pleasing. I just thought it was, you know, an ego thing, but it completely is people pleasing. 
Yeah, we have people pleasing is what we've learned to survive and cope in childhood. It's what we've done is we've continued in adulthood to play certain roles. So for instance, if if in childhood you got this message that you were second best, or maybe you got used to being the favorite, or you picked up messages about what it was that made you worthy or attractive, odds are that if you're very invested in this identity of being second best or the loser or the favorite or whatever it is, then you're going to gravitate to relationships that really allow you to play to that identity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think about like my parents broke up when I was like two and a half or something like that. And it's funny, but I have felt like I felt like the other woman with my father, actually, in the sense of, you know, I had my stepmom and I, you know, I adore my stepmom. But there was this dynamic, you know, there were three of us in this relationship. And then my mom, my dad, me. And then I had, you know, my my sisters who were born to my, my stepmom and my dad. But my dad had a way of behaving around us that honestly, he could be a bit secret squirrel, you know. And so it kind of gives you that vibe of that sort of other woman thing. So it made total sense that many years later that I gravitated into that dynamic where yeah. I was involved with somebody who was already in a relationship. And then I was fighting for him to pick me. And I was doing all the things that I felt made me pleasing and attractive. You know, I lied about what my favorite film was for two years because I wanted to appear more appealing yeah. to this guy. And I compromised myself in a myriad of ways because I thought that on some level, I didn't believe I was good enough, but I thought that if I could just make this guy pick me, then I would finally, I was hung upon, well, I have to be picked and I've earned this, earned my stripes. What makes her better than me? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? And I think a lot of people feel like that. It doesn't have to be an affair, but there is this sort of sense of, well, they're hung upon who were they with before me or who are they with after me or who are they with at the same time as me or Oh, they say they're attracted to this type of person. Well, I don't look like that kind of person. Okay, well, how do I please? It's exhausting. Yeah, you just, (laughs) I related to so many things you just said. I was really laughing because when I first met my husband, his like favorite movie, Star Wars, I told him I had seen Star Wars for like, years before I finally was like, I need to tell you, like, I've never seen Star Wars, you know, and he's like, okay, let's watch him. It was like, so not a big deal. But I'm just laughing because it's so and I've, I had an ex that said he liked blonde women, I dyed my hair blonde, like I've done, I've totally done all of those things. And a common, such a common message that I get from people who are going through a breakup is why wasn't I good enough? You know, and it's like, and it's, you know, I can tell people looking from the outside, like you can't take it as personally as, as you're taking it because really like we're all acting in a way that's like makes sense to us. We're not really thinking, you know, I say like no one wakes up in the morning and is like, I want to break this person's heart. That's not how they're, you know, (laughs) they're acting, but it is. It's like it affects so many things when someone says, like, I'm no longer choosing you to be in a relationship with. And it like strikes so many chords with people. Yeah, I think that one of my most common questions over the years was why her slash him slash them and not me. And there's this real, I think, particularly for women, there is very much a replacement mentality. Yeah. So because of how we've been socialized and conditioned, we see each other as in women as interchangeable. 
And so we can meet somebody and we, on some level, feel as if we're replacing the previous woman and that we must have something that they didn't have or that equal to that or, or you know, we're competing with that. And what that means is that when we experience rejection, because we see each other as interchangeable, because we compete with each other, because that's what we've been socialized and conditioned to do, it feels like there is this tiny ass little pot of opportunity, of relationships, of beauty, of all the things, and that somebody else is taking from us. So there's always a sense somebody's taken from somebody else. We're taken from another woman, they're taken from us, and so on and so on. And so there is a sense that we have been replaced because on some level, we believe that we replaced somebody else. So we're not really there as ourselves in these instances. We're there as the woman that we think that this person needs and wants us to be. And we will play to that. Whatever we think that person wanted, we were that. And then we're like, but if we're doing all the things that we think that this person needs and wants from us, well, why, why wouldn't they still want to be with me? It doesn't make sense to us. It's like, oh my God, well, what has she got that I don't have? And I, I've actually had people say to me, like, why would they break it off with me? Like, why would they end this relationship and not even have another relationship to go to? As if to say, I must be a terrible person if you want to end this relationship and you don't even have somebody else lined up. Mm -hmm. Or I've had people say to me, oh my gosh, like you have the time, like they have the time to go to the bathroom and to eat and to go on social media, but they don't seem to have the time to like pick up the phone to me or to like to text. And it's like, like, how have we done this to ourselves? Like, how have we got to thinking of ourselves in these ways? Yeah. I've never heard someone say that, but like, you know, when you've gone through something for so long and then someone like just puts it into words, I went through that so much with, with so many relationships where I would like, it, there's a reason we like research ex-girlfriends of our partners because we want to know how we stack up. Again, when I started dating my husband and I've gone through so many changes in my relationship now, like the person I was in the beginning was the ultimate people pleaser. And I've, you know, been able to shift in this. But when I first started dating, we went with his family friend snowboarding. And the dad said, I've never been able to teach one of Luke's girlfriends how to snowboard. And my first thought was like, Ooh. I will snowboard on this trip if it kills me. And I actually like tore my meniscus in my knee and still went because I was like, I am doing this if it's the last thing I do, you know? And it's like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's funny now, but like, that's insanity to think that like, that's what I felt like I needed to do to prove that I was worthy to this person who was already very interested yeah. in me, you know? It's wild. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you said, Oh, he said like none of his, you know, previous girlfriends were snowboarded before. I knew what was coming. She's like, she's yeah. gonna be snowboarding champion by the end of this trip. <laughs> she's yeah. Snowboarder with the snowboarders. But you know, I remember, I think it was last year that the was it last year or the year before that the first series of the ultimatum on Netflix came out. Now, you know, I find some of these shows fascinating and they always feature like very young 20-somethings yes. who are pursuing marriage. And I'm like, make this show with 30 something and 40 something and 50, 60 somethings. And then, then yeah. we'll see what's really going on. It makes sense why they do it with early 20s. 
Yeah, totally. And what I found so fascinating was that, so the ultimatum for anybody who's doesn't isn't familiar with that show they bring together these couples where one person in the couple really really wants to get married and they're basically given them this ultimatum like we are engaged but at the end of this process or this relationship is over and so you go into this experiment and you basically live with a you get to live basically with somebody else's uh, partner I think for like two three weeks or something like that now what was so fascinating to me is that almost every single one of the female participants in it, when they were talking about why they felt that they were ready to get engaged or why they should be engaged, they were like, I'm really attractive. Like I keep my body tight. I cook, I clean. I need to meet somebody who like values this. I want somebody who takes the trash out, who'll mow the lawn. And I was like, you do realize that you're talking about like, okay, aside from like the, the visual, you're talking about like menial tasks like you can get somebody from task rabbit to do yeah. this stuff like you can hire a handyman you can get a housekeeper a nanny whatever it might be and it made me realize that a lot of the things that we talk about and see as being what makes us valuable and desirable have nothing whatsoever to do with our actual character and our values and who we are as a person a lot of us have produced ourselves to be in the equivalent of you know, like a personal ad or, or a piece of marketing where it's like, you know, I, I've got great hair. I have all of my teeth. I went to this university. I have a great job. I earn really good money. I wear all of these clothes. That's not, this is the stuff. Every time I talk to people about why they're stuck on a person, what it is that they're stuck on about the breakup or why they're in a relationship, they always go for this stuff. And it just goes to show it, how easy it is for us to sometimes devalue ourselves, but also why it can feel so painful when a relationship ends, because we're thinking, if that's the way that we're thinking, then of course we're going, well, they have longer hair than me, or they're younger, or they must be wearing sexier lingerie, or they must they must be more attractive. And of course, then we feel like we've failed, like mm-hmm. there's something wrong with us. And that makes it harder for us to, to process this, this breakup, because we're misunderstanding what it was that did or didn't work about our relationship. Yeah, I think we we very often forget that. I mean, I've even experienced this in like friendships where for a long time, I felt like if I'm not adding value to relationship, whether it be romantic or friendship, then I will be either have to be like super easy or adding value. Like, I mean, I've gone through this so many times with my therapist, my biggest fear is being a burden. That's like my biggest fear in the entire world is someone telling me like, you are a burden to me, you know? So I, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like my programming. So I've done so many things and that's, you know, that's like my drive for people pleasing is because if someone told me that I was a burden, it would feel like, you know, it would feel like I would cease to exist. And so knowing that like just me, my, you know, my character, my personality, my essence, like that's why people, you know, are friends with me. And that's, you know, that's why my husband's married to me. It's not because, you know, I can, you know, plan a good party or what, you know, whatever that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, you know, when we people please, we've all got a thing that we're trying to avoid being seen as, you know, perceived as trying to avoid doing, you know, I, like you have really felt very uncomfortable with the sense of being a quote unquote burden. And there are clearly specific experiences that we have, particularly in our upbringings, because this is where it all starts and it's not about blame the parents or anything. 
but it is literally how we work as humans. Our programming goes all the way back to the early years of childhood. We have both picked up messages about needs and needing to appear strong and not wanting to be a burden, possibly because maybe we saw somebody else and thought, oh gosh, like the reason why that's going on in their lives is because they're a burden, or because we had somebody literally saying, you're a burden, or don't be a burden. Then what happens is that, you know, the amount of people I talk to who part of the reason, and they don't realize this, but part of the reason why, well, a lot of the reason why they're running into problems in their relationships is because they are hiding their needs. People pleasing is us hinting at what our needs are without having to come out straight and say, I need you to, I would like you to, I don't like la la la. And that is because we, a lot of us are afraid to ask for help. A lot of us are afraid to be inconvenient. A lot of, I'm going to go back to the women here. We've picked up some funny ass messages out there. So we think that we have to portray ourselves as being low maintenance, Mm -hmm. drama free, right? Act like we're needless and trying to use that like it's like a point of advantage, you know, like, like, oh, this makes me better because like I am basically not having any needs. We'll be on a date and back as oh you know what happened with your last relationship and the person turned around and be like yeah well you know in my last relationship it just felt like you know they were pretty hard going they were asked me for a lot and in our brains we crunched the data right note to self make sure that i never ask this person for too much and so we will act like we just got it all covered yeah <laughs> and all because we don't want to appear as if we're being a burden that we don't want to, it's almost like we're afraid that if we ask for just a little, into a little bit too much, this person's going to go, relationship over. Yeah. I'm done with you. You're too yeah. much. You're needy. And actually, in order to have a mutually fulfilling, loving relationship, we need to have needs. So we need to be taking care of our needs, but our needs also need to be taken care of by the relationship. And if we've hidden our needs, we've hidden ourselves and we're hiding from intimacy. And so issue just keeps perpetuating itself. And I will hear from people who'll be like, I don't understand. We were in this relationship or we were engaged or we were married. And, you know, I was being everything I thought this person wanted me to be. You know, and it's not like I was being high maintenance. It's not like I was being this, this, that, and the other. And then the person's turned around and said, actually, this is over. And when I tried to talk to them about what it was, they're like, I feel like I don't know you. And I'm like, Yeah, because if you're being what you think the other person wants you to be and you're going out of your way to hide your needs in the relationship, the person never really feels that safe with you because they don't know if you're actually being honest with them. When you say that you're okay, are you actually okay? When you say that you don't need any help with that thing, do you actually not need any help with that thing? And look, it's not that we have to be, I don't know, great at asking for help at day one. I am far better at admitting my needs 17 years into my relationship with my husband now than I was at the beginning. It has been an evolution. It has been a work in progress. Like both, <laughs> you'll laugh at this. My husband and I both listened. I listened to it first. It was Demi Moore's autobiography on a Audible. I listened to it first and then he listened to it after I talked about it. And there was this one bit in the book where I kind of went, Oof. And I never told him anything about that. But funny enough, when he listened to the book, he also had the same 
And what it was was to me was saying that she doesn't like to be, she didn't want to be a burden because of the, you know, similar upbringing. And so one of the things that Bruce brought up towards the end of their marriage is that like anything he wanted to do, yeah, fine, no problem, go ahead, do it. All of that. And he said he never really felt as if she needed him because mm. she just kind of cracked on, did it herself, suffered away, but wasn't really communicating that. Now, I am actually very chill in a lot of respects, but my husband was like, whoa, whoa, because I'm like, he's like, oh, I'm going to go and do this. Yeah, sure. No problem whatsoever. And he's like, are you hiding your needs from me? And I was like, no, yeah. but I have got much better at asking for help. And admitting, you know, where I'm struggling because I just try to act like I had to keep everything afloat without really giving off any sense of like struggle. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day -day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Yeah. And I feel like even to add to what you were saying about like, I think so many of us women have the fear of being high maintenance, needy. And on top of that, I think we feel like we should be worthy enough of a partner <laughs> attuning themselves to our needs that we've never even voiced. Uh -huh. We're essentially lying to ourselves, to our partner. And then we get resentful. Like, this is a huge issue my husband and I had with holidays. Oh, holidays. He's like not a holiday person. I am. I'm a huge birthday person. I finally had to be like, this is what I expect from you on my birthday. I expect a card. I expect you to take me to dinner, a dinner that you have planned. Yep. And But it took so long. It took so many times of us getting in fights on holidays because I'm 
totally sulking around because my needs were not met, but I never voiced them. And it's like, you know, I had this idea that my husband should know what I want. We've been together for so long. But yeah, it's just like there's so many underlying things of that with like the people pleasing. But I do have feelings. So when my needs aren't met, I'm hurt. And so I'm either stuffing those down or I'm lashing out in other ways. And it's like, yeah, those feelings have to go somewhere. Yeah. And there's two particular things there. You know, one is that part of the reason why we believe that people should, you know, just know, yeah. you know particularly somebody who we're in a you know intimate relationship with is because on some level, that's actually an, an acknowledgement of the people pleasing. There's a part of us that's essentially saying, but I've done all the things and I'm so attentive and generous. And I think yeah. about blah, 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 that surely when it's my birthday, they should just like know that I want to be like made special for them to do a dinner. But of course, if you don't have that value, you know, where it's like, oh, on birthdays, you know, a thing, you're not going to think of that unless the other person has actually yeah. communicated that. But I think that the other, you know, piece, within this as well, is that these situations are going to come up because it pushes us into a deeper place of intimacy. Rather than the, the resentment, when we notice that resentment is in the house, that's a cue for us to go, whoa, where am I not being direct? Where am I not being honest? Where am I acting as if I have no choice but to do things in the way that I have been? And then there's an opportunity for us to be more honest. You know, I'll be you know, as an example, like of the communication thing, like I'll look around the house and my, my, our daughters are teenagers now, this has been going on for years, but I have different standards of tidiness than I do. So my, and I realize that some of this again, speaks to some of the stresses, we'll call them of, of childhood, but their, um, I guess, tolerance for untidiness is higher than mine. I'm not saying that they're super duper messy, but my threshold for that is lower than theirs. And so what I would do is I would then be sort of banging around with the vacuum cleaner, bashing around, huffing, puffing. And then I'd notice those feelings. And I was like, Natalie, instead of dropping hints by banging the vacuum cleaner around and huffing and puffing, why not just turn around and say, hey, guys, any chance you could help me out with blah, blah, blah. Or I need you to enter the dishwasher. I need you to take out the recycling. I need you to this. Why martyr myself in the yeah. name of keeping up this appearance of being the devoted wife and mother? Like, come on, man. I say that they would rather I ask or rather that I state it than me be all resentful with them. Yeah, I'm laughing because I've honestly probably did that a couple weeks ago. But because <laughs> I know there's like, you have the different kinds of people pleasing because I think we have like a certain idea in our mind of like the people pleaser always says yes or whatever. But I know there's like different kinds. And I found that so interesting when I was, you know, listening to you on another podcast. So I would love if you could share that here. So there are five styles of people pleasing and that's gooding, efforting, avoiding, saving and suffering. The names in and of themselves tell you about what you're driven by, but also the means in which you go about to please. So gooding, being good, looking good, that's very important to being liked by others. And so that's the way in which you will go around trying to please. It might even just simply be, oh, society's told me that this is what a good mother, a good, 
a good girl, a good boy, a good something is like, and you'll just try to present that image to the world. And actually, if we speak specifically to breakups, that means that when things don't go the way that you are expecting, when, for instance, a relationship breaks down, what you're going to struggle around is, is like, but I, I've been really good. Like I've been a really good girlfriend, really good boyfriend, I've been a really good partner spouse. How could this happen? Right? Because yeah. on some level, you've been trying to do all the good things. Yeah. Efforting, which is, is my primary one, is about effort. So it wouldn't be enough to give the appearance of being good. The way in which you go about pleasing is by using efforts. It's by using your your bandwidth, your time, energy, and effort. And so it's all about being the best, you know, uh, giving 100%, always being seen to be making an effort. And so you there's an element of perfectionism there, and you're also the most likely to burn out um, when you have this particular style. And so again, from a breakup perspective, somebody who has this style is going to be very about, but I've done like all the things. I have the receipts. It's not even about like, I was trying to give the appearance of stuff. I can name all of these things I've done for you. And then avoiding is anybody who has this style is very driven by wanting to avoid inconveniencing anyone else. They're trying to avoid discomforting. They're also, in people-pleasing, there's a lot of avoiding conflicts in there, but anybody who has the avoiding start, they are very driven by trying to avoid conflict and criticism. So they'll go along to get along, and they their way of trying to please others is the avoiding. They won't talk about the thing that needs to be talked about. They will avoid the conflict as a way to please. So it's like, oh, you really pissed me off and hurt me about that thing, but I'm I'm just going to avoid bringing that up with you. And then that is going to be like a really good thing that I've done so that the next time you think about taking issue with me, you'll think twice about that because I never brought that thing up with you in the first place. Yeah. And then of course, when it is brought up, they're like, wait, what's going on? Like in a breakup, they'll be like, but I avoided having boundaries. I avoided bringing up that thing. I avoided making things difficult for you. How could you break up with me? The saving is the helpers, fixers, rescuers of this world. And gosh, there's a lot of us out there. Mm -hmm. And the way that you try to please when you have this style is through that. You try to, you're getting up in other people's business and you'll say you're doing it with the best of intentions. You know, you feel like, well, I'm, I'm just trying to help this person out. I'm just trying to help them be better. I'm loving this person. It's this stuff. But a part of you on some level needs to feel needed. And also because in the process of trying to, you know, fix, rescue, heal, whatever with the other person, you're doing that because you're also hoping that they will do that for you in the process of if they become what you want, if they give you the relationship that you want. And then when the relationship doesn't materialize or when when you break up, you're like, but after everything I've done for you, yeah, I picked you up when you barely had anything going for you whatsoever. Look yeah. what I did for you. I, somebody else would never have put up with this stuff, but here I am. I look at what I, I'm. We're completely baffled, and we'll also be like, why would you be mad at me? I was just being giving. I was just being helpful. I had good intentions, and so we'll feel very confused. And yeah. then, last but not least. Is like the, the suffering style. And sometimes people have arrived at suffering because they've already been one of the other styles and they've really kind of fallen on, a, fallen on their sword at this stage. But it is the sense of, I bleed for you. 
So the more I suffer, the better that makes me as a person. On my way of showing you that I love you, you know what? I'm just going to let you burst up every boundary that I have. I will suffer for you. I will let you be or let myself be your verbal, emotional, even physical punch bag. And at some point, you'll see how much I'm suffering. And you'll be like, you know what? I think I should probably finally meet their need. Or I think I should probably stop doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to please through suffering. You might be the scapegoat, you know, the be sort of cast as the problem one, the black sheep, and we suffer. And then, of course, when a relationship breaks down, when a person goes and chooses somebody else that's not interested, it's like, but I suffered for you. I, I've broken myself for you, and I've got nothing to show for it. Yeah, the suffering one was one I, I dealt with for a long time, and I actually had this, like, very intense moment of clarity with it. I was hosting people at my house, was cooking dinner. And I went to pull a pan out of the oven and I like totally burned myself to the point where it left like a very significant mark. And I didn't even make a noise because people were talking. And I was like, oh my God, like something is very wrong here. (laughs) Like, how did I not say anything? And that was like, I like get chills thinking about it, but I'm like, why do I think that I can't say ow, make any kind of noise? But I literally like stayed silent. And I to me, that's like so crazy that it's like, oh, I, I don't want to disrupt the conversation that's going on. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I don't know, not, you know, not say anything. So, I mean, I think I've and is it common that people kind of dip in and out of a lot of those different styles? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, often we'll have a very clear dominant one. Yeah. It all depends on how you've been socialized and conditioned. I have definitely been in all of them, but the the thread, the through line of my life, when I think about where do I, where do I invest my efforts? What is most likely to trip me up? Where I'm going to start to feel resentful? It is always around efforts. Like I am somebody who is very driven by effort. I've got a bit of the avoiding in there, a bit of the gooding, even a little bit of the saving. Not so much the suffering, that's more in the distance past, but my identity. And when I look at, you know, my relationship with work um, and and look at where I've experienced the most pain in life, it has always been about my perception of my efforts versus the reality of the outcome Mm -hmm. and feeling as if I put a lot of effort in. This is not the outcome that I would expect, given the amount of effort that I've put in. And then it becomes, I've been shortchanged or I'm not good enough. Yeah. And that has been the thing that I have had to work through. Yeah, I definitely think mine is efforting. I think when I I start to get uncomfortable when I haven't, I notice this a lot with friendships where I like, if I haven't done something for someone recently, I start getting kind of uncomfortable and start racking my brain of like, oh, I haven't shown effort towards this relationship. Maybe it's drifting away and have to realize like, no, these people have been in my life for like decades. I don't think they're going anywhere. But Mm -hmm. I noticed that's where like a lot of my discomfort comes from. I think a big reason I wanted to, to bring you on is I just think I always say like breakups are such tremendous opportunities to like kind of reassess. And I think like being able to work Mm -hmm. on people pleasing during a breakup is so valuable because it's giving you that place to do that before you, you know, move, maybe start dating or move into the next relationship where it's so easy to just fall back into, into old patterns. And 
what would, I mean, I know this is like you, I mean, you have an entire book about it, but what would you say is like the overarching theme of overcoming people pleasing? So when we people please, we are doing things from a place of these are sort of unconscious, often unconscious habits that we have been doing for a long time. And they're from this place of when we were a kid. And when we start to become more, one, aware of our feelings, two, aware of our thoughts, and three, aware of our why or whys, then we can actually start to break the cycle. But also, I think that we can start to look at things through a different lens. You know, I think a key thing for anybody to know about a breakup or in fact anything in life where you're like that really hurt that disappointed me that didn't go the way I wanted it to if you've come away from that experience and you're like that happened because I'm a not good enough person then you came away with the wrong lesson Mm. and when you are more aware of your feelings and your why and your thoughts you stop making everything about how good enough you are. You stop making it your vocation in life to basically Jedi mind trick your partners into feeling and thinking and behaving in the way in which you want them to behave. Because people pleasing is a block to intimacy. You're basically acting differently from what you feel on the inside. You're pretending to be something that you're not. You're often doing things with a hidden agenda. You can't be people pleasing and also have full intimacy at the same time. So the more you cut back on people pleasing is the more intimacy you have. And I think if you look at, you know, I talked about feelings, thoughts, and why. So there are the people pleaser feelings, anxiety, resentment, guilt, overwhelm, feeling overloaded, helpless, powerless, low. If you're feeling any of those feelings, that is a notification that you are people pleasing or that you have been, Mm. or that you have done something for all intents and purposes that was a good thing, but you're going about it in a way that is detrimental to your well-being. So you might have actually met a really lovely person, but it's maybe activated you as such, and you've gone into people-pleasing mode, and now you're going on dates and you're angsting about like, do they like me? Do they want me? Okay, how should I be tonight? So you've kind of gone into this mode of trying to become whatever you think that this person will want so that they will give you more dates. Those feelings are letting you know that the way in which you're approaching things is not in your best interest. You're going against yourself. Thoughts would be like, if you're in a relationship or you know, you're know you dating somebody or you're coming out of a breakup and the thoughts that you're having, you're very self-critical or every, you know, you're doing things because it's like, I kind of don't want to do this thing. But if I don't do it, then they're going to judge me or they're not going to like me or they're going to reject me or whatever. That's not like those thoughts are telling you that there's a problem here. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the big bad wolf in your midst. But again, like something is off about the way in which you're approaching things. Like an example of this I hear of a lot is just people meeting somebody and immediately going into girlfriend, boyfriend mode. They're not in a relationship yet, but because their anxiety is triggered, for them, being interested in somebody is feeling anxious Mm, about them. Yeah. And then they go into this girlfriend-boyfriend mode, even though they're not actually in a relationship yet. 
And then what happens is, you know, it's the efforting again. I've put in all this effort. I've been like, I, look at me. I'm like, I'm being this girlfriend. I'm being this boyfriend. And, you know, I'm being this partner. But they're not in a relationship. And then the person doesn't call or the, the text pattern changes or the thing ends. And they just completely spiral. And it's like, how are you going for a full-on breakup with somebody that you knew for two weeks? Yeah. And so it's it's noticing the, these thought processes. And then it's also noticing the why. Am I Am I doing this because I want to? Or am I doing this? Because I'm trying to control something. I'm trying to avoid something. I'm trying to get something. And I think that when we become more aware of this, we make far better choices that mean that, okay, of course, when we go for a breakup, it is still going to hurt. But I'll tell you something, the type of pain that we're dealing with when we are more of who we really are is very different from when we have gone into a, you know, into dating, into a relationship from a place of pretending to be something that we're not, compromising ourselves repeatedly, doing all of this people-pleasing, the pain is very, very different. We have a lot to contend with when we've been doing that. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I mean, I can look at it like if my marriage were to end, yes, it would be very hard, but like it wouldn't be if we had broken up like a long time ago. Well, like I would be like, I was myself. I know that I did, you know, my best. And if it didn't work out, like it's not against me, you know, whereas if it was before where it was like I was doing all these things and it would be like your best is not good enough, you know, so it's like it could depersonalize it a lot. Yeah, I think that when we have been people pleasing, where a lot of the identity that we've presented in in, in a relationship is very based on all of this stuff that we're doing to basically influence and control the other person's feelings then when we go through the breakup, it feels like a loss of identity, a collapse of the self. In fact, one of the big things that people struggle with, which really has its roots very firmly in people-pleasing, is if you pretend to be something that you're not, or in your mind, you don't even think it's that, but you're basically being and doing what you think, what the other person wants, and then the person breaks up with you. What's actually happening is this raging there's pain inside because it's like, hold on a second. I basically tried to be and do all the things that I thought that you needed and wanted. And you still don't even want that? Mm. Well, then I'm doomed because I wasn't presenting you with my real self because I thought that you would reject me. And now I have been what you what, what you told me you wanted or what you inferred that you wanted. And you still don't even want that? Wow, there must be something seriously wrong with me. But it's not. That's not at all. But that's the pain that we grapple with. It's like, I pretended and I still lost. So where does that leave me? And we are gambling with ourselves. And I think that if we go for a breakup and it feels as if I can't breathe, I've lost myself, I don't know what my life is, that's a sign that we were very unhealthily invested in this relationship, that too much of our identity was based on what we think this person wanted us to be and being in this relationship. Wow. That's very powerful. I think a lot of people listening are going to feel some mind-blowing things happening when they hear that. I know for me that my like journey of not people-pleasing anymore has very much been a practice, and I'm really mm-hmm. big on like practicing things during a breakup. 
I've shared this before, but my therapist had me do this exercise where anytime I went out to eat, I had to ask for like extra napkins or like I had to like ask for something, even <laughs> if I didn't necessarily need it, but just like to practice that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I, I had it. another mentor of mine. Anytime someone asked me to do plans, I always had to say, let me get back to you just so I could like kind of recenter. So could you share some like maybe little kind of tangible ways that people can practice not people pleasing in like not such an intimidating way? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a big believer in like start small. You don't like, for instance, listen to this conversation. You're like, right. Well, Kendra and Natalie were talking about saying no. So I'm just going to go out there and like fire out all of my no's on like, because you'll be very triggered. Yeah. And it'll be very unsettling. It'll probably kick off a level of conflict. And then you'll end up going, oh, well, see, this is why I don't bother to say no. Start small. Don't try to do everything. Pick something. And part of that can come from, you know, in the book, I talk about, you know, I talk about the same thing. Let me get back to you. And part of that is because I'm somebody who overschedules herself. And so I need to actually look at my physical like calendar, like in my bullet journal. I need to look at my phone. I need to double check. But I also just need to get a sense of where am I at? right now like it's not just about like in the moment it's like well what's happening the day after that or that week what's going on in that week looking at things in a context thinking about my energy levels if I commit to this number because I have some, I'm sometimes going around I'm, and I'm saying yes to things I want to do but I'm not necessarily giving enough consideration to my bandwidth so the whole let me get back to you think gives you time to consider do you want to do it do you have the bandwidth to do it like what are you already committed to But it also means that it's for people who have a habit of reflexively saying yes. And so if you get into the habit, you know, make a commitment to yourself that you're going to say, let me get back to you. What it also means is that if somebody turns around and says, no, I want your answer right now, then you can go, well, then the answer is no. Because if the person can't give you the time to consider, then you don't have to turn around and say yes there and then. If you can't give me the time to consider, I don't feel as if I need to basically turn around and say yes to you right now. Mm-hmm. And that's where you will see that the rubber hits the road with certain people. I also think as well that, you know, the first step in the book that I talk about is like, uh, you know, get to know your pleaser. And so that is about, you know, rather than sort of charging in there and be like, oh, wow, I'm going to say no, blah, blah, blah. Look at how you spend your yes, no, and maybe over the course of a week. And that might just simply having an index card or a post-it note or in your journal where you're looking at how often are you saying yes, no, and maybe. Now, the truth is the people pleaser has a lot, <laughs> a lot, yes, yeah. a, a lot less no and maybe in their life than they do yes, right? But it's looking at like, who is it or what is it that triggers those people pleaser feelings, like the anxiety, guilt, resentment, and so forth? Who is it that when you, you see their name pop up on your phone or in the email or wherever it is, you're like, oh, you can feel yourself getting all tense. You know, what type of issues are you coming up against in the week? You know, a a common one is the overcommitting. Because then it's like, actually, by looking at how you spend your yes, no, and maybe, you can look at where do I need to cut back? I get people to experiment with what would it look like if I were to cut this yes in half? It's not necessarily that you're going to actually cut it in half, but it's to see, one, which things you can actually say no to when you go, oh, wow, like, no biggie there. Why didn't I say no to this before? And which things strike terror through you just at the thought 
of doing so. Because this helps you to understand what the hotspots are in your life, you know, which people or things, but it's they're a little bit further down the road before you're going to be getting to the know with them. And that lets you then focus on other areas as well. I think I'm also a great believer in the power of the pause. And so what I mean by this is, again, this is about that reflexive. Yes. You know, if you're that person, it's like, oh, can you? And before you've even finished the sentence, before they finish the sentence, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Even if it's only like an extra couple of seconds, notice what's happening in your body as this person is making the request or the ask or whatever it is that's going on. This is intel because you start to notice how you're making your choices and which choices don't feel quite right to you. And, you know, another thing, and it's a very, very quick one, is just to notice where you play your role. So, you know, for example, you might have the role of being the listener. Notice where that shows up. Because in that moment, when you kind of feel like, oh, I've kind of got to go into listener mode or I've got to play agony aunt or whatever it is, it's like, whoa, hold on a second here. Do I have to play this role or how can I just be myself here? Mm. So rather than performing being something, how could I make a choice that's really taking care of me here? I love that. I love that. And I'm going to download your book right after this call. I'm like so excited to learn more. It's something that I feel like I've made a lot of progress in, but I know that I have a long, long way to go. But I appreciate the time that that you spent with us so much. And I this might be the interview I've learned the most from personally. So I'm just really appreciative of of your work and your time. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kendra. I absolutely loved this conversation. It actually reminded me of how much I love talking about relationships. So thank you for that. But I also just love your generosity and your vulnerability. It's wonderful. And, you know, I hope we get to talk and hang again. I do too. And could you um, let people know how they can learn more about you? I'm going to put the link to your book in the show notes. But if you could just share how people could connect with you further, that would be great too. So I have my website, baggagereclaim.com, which is, you know, home of pretty much most of my sort of relationship advice. On there as well, you can find out about the Baggage Reclaim Sessions podcast, which is available on all podcast players. So the podcast isn't active anymore, but, you know, as in new episodes, but there's like, I don't know, 270 something episodes of it covering a a wealth of topics, including breakups. I'm on Instagram at at Natlu, N-A-T-L-U-E. So that's kind of like really kind of the only sort of social media I do. And I also write a substack at natalielu.substack.com. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Natalie. I hope everyone gets your book and checks out your other work. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Kendra. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.